Redeemer of Hope. I'm Charlie. Would you stand with me for the in reverence of reading the Holy Scriptures? We're going to read Mark 14, 12 through 21. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when the sacrificed, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say the master of the house, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room finished, uh, furnished and ready there prepare for us and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover and when it was evening he came with the twelve and as they were reclining at, t at table and eating Jesus said truly I say to you one of you will betray me one who is eating with me they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is the word of God. You may be seated. We'll, to, we'll start a little bit differently than we typically do. I want you to start with this. I want you to imagine. Imagine that you were a slave in one of the great empires of the world, in the ancient world. Imagine that your people group, yours, had been systematically targeted for first increasingly difficult labor, singled out to do the hard jobs, and then slavery, outright slavery, forced labor, and then genocide, the systematic killing of your people. Imagine having to watch as an entire generation, in this case, of male children was wiped out from your family tree. Imagine the hopelessness, imagine the anger, imagine the pain, imagine all of it. This story, horrifically, tragically, like Im impossibly, is a story that gets retold from generation to generation, from place to place. There are many, many people groups that can lay claim to a story like this across human history. But the one I'm talking about, the liter literary setting is the second book of the Hebrew Bible, the book of Exodus. The socio-political setting is the ancient kingdom of Egypt, one of the great world powers at the time, and the people group we're talking about are the ancient Hebrew people. You know, the pain of, of the average Hebrew's life from this episode, you could read about it in early chapters of Exodus, that the pain is not simply the horrible circumstances, and they are horrible. They are utterly nightmarish. But it's not just that circumstances themselves Though that's enough to cause plenty of generational pain and deep trauma. Um, 
the horror of it also stemmed from the fact that the fact that this people, this very same people, they had begun to believe that the God of the universe had been working around them for good, had been working in them and through them, and that he had made special promises to bring about blessing and hope and renewal and goodness and joy and justice, shalom to the world. So it's bad enough to have these things happening to you, but but it's a whole other deal to have that happen when you believe that, that the God of the universe is some way telling a special story with and through you for the good of the world, and yet this is where you are. This is where you are. These people had, had known these stories. Perhaps some, they had been written down in parts at this point. They had certainly been told orally at this point. But we have the story of creation. Story of creation, where there's, the, there's this good God who, who was not content to be apart from his creation. He, he didn't just exist in his perf- perfection as him, just alone, but he said, I want to share this. I want to bless, I want to create and bless these other beings that I'm gonna dignify by even naming them as made in my image, sharing in some part of likeness to me. He, he creates this beautiful creation. He shares it with his image bearers. And not only that, but he entrusts them to, to steward it, to rule it underneath him and alongside them, to care for it and to enjoy it even more. You know the story? It happens. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans, they reject God's rule. Quite simple rules, in fact. And they decide to take things into their own hands, to go their own way. And as a result, they introduce sin into the world. They introduce rebellion into the world. They introduce with it death and all these consequences that have marked our world ever since. But, but God made a promise, even then, you go back in chapter three of Genesis, page three of the Bible, there's a promise there that this broken state of affairs will not get the last word. God is not going to just leave things, well, the project messed up, we're done, okay, let's pack it up, try something else somewhere else. No, he said he's, he's going to crush the head of the snake. And the one he sends will be wounded in the process, but, but victory will be won. Then generations passed, generations passed, and God chooses this man named Abram and promised that through his family, Though this, this man had no children, he was only getting older, and the story gets more and more tension-filled as he gets older and older and older and older, and there's still no, not a single child to his name, but he says, through you, Abraham, and your family, the entire world is gonna receive this incredible blessing. I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing. And we see this, this, this thread get picked up. Okay, this is the family through which everything is gonna be put right. It's gonna have something to do with this Abraham and his descendants. And eventually, Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, uh, he ends up in a position of power in the kingdom of, you know, Egypt. Egypt. The story takes us to Egypt at the end of the book of Genesis. And the people, the Hebrew people flourished there. Joseph's people flourished there for a long time, and they multiplied until a new king came who didn't like them. And he came in to power with a giant dose of xenophobia, and he started by giving them, as we said, the most backbreaking labor, which gave way to enslavement, which gave way to genocide. The murder of an entire generation of male babies. 
So in this story and in this setting, you, I'm sure if you're at all familiar with the Bible, you, th this is where things get really clear. God raises up this man named Moses, whom he would lead, he would use to lead his people out of this oppression, out of this horrific circumstance. And the story took many twists and many turns, but of course it culminates in God commanding Moses to demand that this king, this Pharaoh, let, people's, let God's people leave on God's behalf. Moses becomes God's mouthpiece. After refusing, God enacted increasingly, and you know, these, these stories are brutal, increasingly harsh, these supernatural acts of judgment designed to bring Pharaoh to repentance. And after a final refusal of the ninth sign, the ninth act, the ninth plague, a plague of darkness, God threatens this final plague. I'm sure you, you know this story and you, you probably recoil from it. The final plague, after everything else hasn't worked, is the death of the firstborn in each family across the entire land of Egypt. Here's what Exodus 12 tells us about how the Hebrew people were to prepare. This is from chapter 12, verse, starting in verse three. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly, and no work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. Here's the last verse we're gonna read. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generation as a statute forever. So, 
if you read through, read on through Exodus there, you will learn that this is in fact how it went. This is in fact how it went. Those who trusted God, and this is a weird thing to do, to take a lamb, to kill it, to start wiping its blood on the posts of your doors, this is weird. It's strange. There's nothing inherently effectual about wiping animal blood on your things that does some sort of spiritually significant thing. But what they did was they were willing to trust God. God lays out a thing. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how you're gonna avoid this fate. Here's how you are going to be passed over from what is coming. And they did it. They trusted him. They trusted the provision that God was making through this sacrificial lamb. And they too were spared the justice of God that was coming down on them. They were passed over. And I'm sure you know the story from there. After this Passover story, they're led out of the city, out of the nation. Uh, they, were, they left their land of slavery and oppression and hardship and death. And they were taken into a land of freedom and peace and life in this event we call the Exodus. And here's what you have to hear. This right here, what we just described, and I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's boring. There are probably two camps in here. Either that was like the most boring thing we've done here in a long time, just reading that long text, or you're just like horrified and startled and like, this is what happened again. I, how did I forget? This is just so rich and raw. Um, but this event, Passover Exodus, was the most significant and dramatic act of salvation from God in salvation history. And it was both spiritual and it was material. It was the thing that when the later authors and thinkers and prophets and, every, and, and reflectors on the Hebrew Bible thought about what does it mean that God saves, this is what they thought about. This was the big event. And there were other ones, but this was the big one. This was the identity-changing, life-changing, identity-forming, marking event of Israel's salvation history until the cross of Jesus. And just as that quote that we read commanded them, Jews for millennia have fought to remember this dramatic act of salvation because if this thing really happened, if you were a, a part of a people group that God delivered in such dramatic fashion, in this inexplicably strange, powerful, flatly miraculous way, and that he wanted to form you into a people for himself and for the good of the rest of the world, you don't wanna forget that, friends. You don't want to forget that event, which is why in the very telling of this story, the way this is recorded, the, 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 the author here is, is putting this practice. He's, he's, he's talking about the events of the history, and he's saying, but for generations to come, you're going to continue to practice this Passover meal and this feast of unleavened bread that you will not forget, that you will continue to be shaped by the telling and retelling and retelling of what God has done, specifically through this celebration every year of a Passover Seder or meal full of symbolic foods and storytelling and question and answer time, as well as this Feast of Unleavened Bread. So for what? Again, that they would never forget who their God was, what he had done for them. That they would never forget the name and the power and the glory of this God who had done it. Amen? This is a crucial tradition that has continued on for, for Jews to our day, which also means this tradition was alive and well thousands of years later when Jesus was on the scene. 
Indeed, as we have already read, as, as Charlie read for us, the Passover was the very exact time that Jesus had his final meal with his disciples, which we just read about. That's all set up to say, what Jesus is about to do here is really important. It's really important, and it is no coincidence that the death of the Son of God just so happened to coincide with the Passover feast and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. We'll see why here in a second. We'll see why here in a second. So we're back, in, uh, we're back in ancient Israel history, and now we're a little less ancient Israel history. Now we're somewhere around the year A.D. 30, a couple years after that probably. And here's what was read for us. Back to the Gospel of Mark. So now, on the first day of unleavened bread, okay, we've got our context. We know what this is. When they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city to a man carrying a jar of water to meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepared for us. So the disciples set out and they went to the city and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. So Jesus has probably, there's a number of ways you could read this, but probably Jesus has prearranged this little secret meeting because as we know at this point, the heat is fully down on Jesus. He can't just walk around the city freely and willy-nilly without serious threat coming to him. And so he's arranged this kind of secret code with this guy with the water jug um, and the disciples are go to find the place, they're gonna set it up and then evening comes and Jesus comes with all 12 of them into this room that's been prepared, that's been arranged. And what are they gonna do? Passover meal, like any good Jews. They're gonna celebrate. They're gonna remember the great acts of salvation that God has done for his people. They're gonna remember them, they're gonna continue once again, another time, another year around the sun to remember and to be shaped by these ideas. And as we mentioned last week, so, so the, sermon, the passage we read last week was two days before Jesus' death, now we're the, the, the day before his death. This is Thursday night and the, the timing gets funky here because on the, on the ancient Jewish calendar, the day turns over when, at sundown. So it's Thursday night into Friday night, if you know what I mean, Friday, I don't know if you'd call it morning at that point, but, but it's Thursday into Friday and Jesus is gonna be killed at the end of Friday. So we are in the final hours of Jesus' life. And again, make no mistake, the final thing, the formal act that Jesus does with his disciples, with the clock ticking on the life of the incarnated Son of God before his crucifixion is have a Passover meal. That's what he chooses to do. That's what he chooses to do. But there's another interesting twist here that the story goes straight into. So this is Jesus' last meal. He's gonna celebrate Passover with them. But listen to this, verse 18, it goes on. They were reclining at table at eating. It's okay, the meal's underway. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. <laughs> one who's eating with me. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And of course, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? 
Can you imagine the tension of this moment? I mean, Jesus has already been talking about his death. He's already, I mean, this is, he, this is something Jesus is bringing up and it's not really penetrating their minds, their hearts. They're still kind of like not really sure what's going on here. And he knows the hour is close. And he starts saying, hey, one of you, just remember, one of you's gonna betray me. And with horror, each of them is like, is it me, is it me? It's not me, surely not, Lord, surely not, Lord. And he says to them, it's one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And he pronounces this judgment. The son of man goes as it is written of him. So this is the, Jesus, Jesus saying, it is written, it is foretold, it is predestined, I'm going to die. I, I came to die. I'm choosing to die. This is my eternal plan to rescue my people. And yet, it is written, and yet, man, woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man had he not been born. So, Yes, this is the eternal plan of God, but this, this person who's going to do this uh, is culpable and is responsible at the very same time. Okay, so we're going to pause the story here. This is really one text, but, but next week Josh is going to open up for us, Josh White, he's going to open up for us the actual institution of the Lord's Supper. And, uh, you know, this is my body, this is my blood, which flows right out of this. But we're going we're gonna to pause here to note something before we get into that story next week, which is this. Jesus, they're eating Passover meal. And then we'll, spoiler alert, none of the gospels record of all these, of, of, of the instances when they record this meal happening, none of them record that the lamb was there. Have you ever thought about that? No Passover lamb, evidently. Instead, Jesus just starts the story like, one of you is gonna betray me, the subtext is, and because you're betraying me, I'm going to die. Do you see it? Do you see it? Jesus himself will be the lamb, is what we're meant to see here. The conversation turns to Jesus' betrayal. Jesus himself will be the one whose life is laid down. Jesus himself, mere hours from now, is going to be killed. And so, next week as we look at, Jesus says, hey, take my blood take my body, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is doing something earth-shatteringly significant here. He's saying, yes, the Passover is crucial. He's a good Jew. He's been celebrating Passover his entire life. But he says, now the fundamental reality here is that we need a new lamb. We need new blood. We need something that's not uh, just, just sort of historical in the sense of, yes, reminding ourselves of what has happened. We need a blood that, that, that protects us and that heals us and that cleanses us from every, everything once and for all. That's him. That's him. It's no coincidence if you were to start at the top of the Gospel of John, uh, John the Baptist, it tells us in verse 29, chapter one, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. You know what John said? John said he saw it. Even back then, even before Jesus had started his public ministry, he says, behold, who is it? The Lamb of God. That's right. Thinking back later, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 7, he says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So we're not, we're not getting fanciful with the, with the connections here. This is, this is the reality. This is what you're meant to see. So what Jesus understands himself doing in going to the cross is a really important question, isn't it? 
for, for chapters now, Jesus has been hinting, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And so far, the disciples are just like so puzzled, like what is this, what is going on? And it's fascinating to note in the Gospel of Mark, unless I'm gonna be surprised by something, I've read, I've read it several times now for this series, um, Mark doesn't tell us. Mark doesn't tell us. What was, so Jesus has to die, but why? What, what's this death going to accomplish? And of course, we can read more explicit things in the other New Testament books. But this is Mark's answer, okay? That's why we're taking so much time to just dive into this here. This is Mark's answer. What does it, why did Jesus have to die? The answer is in the Passover. Jesus understands himself to be a new and better and final Passover lamb. The one from whom, for anyone who's covered with this blood, once and for all, it doesn't have to be repeated, it doesn't have to be recycled, it doesn't have to be done again and again and again. Once and for all, whoever is covered in this blood, whoever is covered in the righteousness of this Jesus, whoever is covered with his perfect and final sacrifice, God will pass over judgment from them too. Once and for all. And unlike the Passover lamb, which again, it's an important and beautiful tradition. In fact, I, uh, Deborah, you do the Passover Seder every year, don't you? You do? Maybe some of you can weasel an invite into her house, because uh, I don't know how to do it, but she does. So you, you're probably gonna have a flock of people around you after, because the time is coming up to do that, which would be beautiful. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. I just totally lost my train of thought. Uh, I just want to go to Deborah's house and eat lamb now. Um, <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus is the one. Hey, oh, that's where I was going with this. The Passover, as beautiful as it is, as amazing as it is, and crucial to Israel's identity as the people of God as it is, it's this event that, that's really a symbolic looking back on what God did this one time in history when he delivered them from oppression, from death, from slavery. He brought them into life and kick-started all these amazing promises in this story that we have now in the Bible. That's amazing, it's worth celebrating, it's worth remembering, but Jesus is saying, my death my death is this once for all. It's not something you just remember and go, oh, wasn't that nice when that happened, but it's actually effective now and for always, friends. Now and for always. And even the, the way the Passover system prefigured the temple sacrifices, and you've probably, you probably don't know the details, but you know enough to know, yes, humans, Israel, they had to sacrifice a lot of animals to make purification for their sins. That too, it's wrapped up in Jesus once and for all. This is the infinite sacrifice. This is the spotless lamb. This is the eternal value, like, like priceless son of God, perfectly loving, perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly obedient, who has willingly laid down his life to be slaughtered for the forgiveness of the sins of many. For the forgiveness of the sins of many. Jesus, Mark is telling us subtly here, sees himself as yes, a new Moses leading God's people out of slavery, out of bondage to sin, out of bondage to death, out of bondage to evil, out of bondage to injustice. Even, I, I say death, I mean that literally, even the, the, 
the death that's bearing all of us down, that tragically one of our friends just faced down this last week, Jesus says, it's, trage- it's tragedy from one, you know, from one angle and it's glory from another because the promise is real and it's true that Jesus has overcome death. So our friend, Mark Leeser, is in the hands, he's in the presence, he's face to face with Jesus right now. And not just that, not just that, one day, Mark, like you and like me, like everyone who has bent the knee to King Jesus, we will be raised to new life. We won't just be in the, you know, heaven, heaven's beautiful, heaven's wonderful, but it's not the final story. It's a resting place until God says, I'm putting all things back right. A new heavens and a new earth, new place to actually live and be embodied and enjoy one another and hang out and enjoy God. Like this incredible imagery of like, we don't even need the sun because God himself will shine his light out on us. It's real life more glorious than we can even imagine. Death is gone, it's no more. It's swallowed up in victory entirely. That's what we're hoping for, friends. That's what we're hoping for, friends. That's something a lamb could never do, nor was it ever intended to. It was always meant to be this picture of this provision, this sacrifice God would bring one day when we wouldn't need to keep slaughtering these animals as a symbol, but we'd get the real thing. God himself becoming that sacrifice to rescue his people. So yes, Jesus sees himself as a new Moses leading a new Exodus. He sees himself as the Passover lamb, the innocent one who was sacrificed, who was sacrificed as a substitution so that it was him and not us, not you and not me. If you wanna know Mark's basic idea of what did the cross of Jesus mean, this is it. This is it. Jesus with his new Passover, saving you and saving me by his blood, friends. That's not the only thing we should say about the cross. The the Bible speaks a whole lot more about it than that. It it, it uncovers other themes and other ideas and other shades, and you know, we'll we'll find time to talk about those as well. But that's what this is about, friends. You read this Passover story and they don't have the lamb, it's and Jesus is about to be betrayed to be killed. This is why. This is why. So I don't have a lot of flashy um, illustrations or crazy stories or I don't know. I've got nothing except to say this is incredible. This is amazing. The Son of God laid down his life as our perfect sacrifice to save us. And it fulfilled like this entire beautiful and mysterious story in such profound and incredible ways. And we get to celebrate it today. So as I said, as Josh is gonna unpack the actual kind of mechanics of, hey, take, take this bread and take this wine and do these in remembrance of me. We're gonna talk more about that next week. I hope you see this is Passover imagery, of course, but I wanna, before we get into all that, just, just call us to it. What Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying is, I'm the lamb. And if you wanna be saved, if you wanna be cleansed, if you wanna be healed, if you want life, if you wanna be free from slavery, if you wanna be free from oppression, come to me. Come to me. And this kind of a grotesque image, but I think all of us, we've gotten used to it, I think. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And that's what we do every week, isn't it? We take these things into ourselves. 
symbolically to say like, yes, Jesus, I have received what you've done for me. I have received you, the perfect spotless lamb in your sacrifice on my behalf. There is no other way by which I can be saved. We let his blood, to use a metaphor here, mark the doorposts of our lives. That's what we do every week, friends, when we do this together. We do this for the forgiveness of sins. We do this from rescue from the judgment that we're owed by virtue of our contributions to all this evil and injustice and sin and death and wickedness in this world. We're all guilty. We get rescue from that judgment too and we get deliverance from slavery. So this lays the tracks for what we'll talk about next week. For now, for now, we just say it's time. In fact, I'll, I'll just have you go ahead uh, right now. We'll do this one together this week. Um, if you don't have a communion cup, go grab one. There's some up here, some in the back, up front. If you're a believer in Christ, this is for you. If you're, if you're considering Jesus, we, we just ask that you hold off on this part. And I'm going to come get one too. So our God is a God of justice. And occasionally that terrifies us and for good reason, or makes us uncomfortable. But what it fundamentally means is that he cares about this world, he cares about his people, he cares about you, you enough, that when he sees sin, either your own or, or, or others, violating you, wounding you, killing you, at some point he says, enough, no more, no more. And the tragedy is that all of us all of us have made our contributions to evil's presence in this world. Therefore, we are all, we all receive judgment. We all are on the, the wrong side if God is going to be just of that hammer falling. But the beauty of Jesus as the Passover lamb is that he didn't say, hey, okay, so if you wanna get out of this mess, just try harder, just be better, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just be perfect, whatever. None of that. He says, I die. I lay down my life. My blood gets spilled. My body is given. I am crushed that you might have life. That's the economy of grace. That's the economy of the love of God. Though he can still, we want him, friends, believe me, we want him to care about justice. And if it, we, we want him to not be indifferent to the horrors of this world. But we also need him to be gracious, don't we? And he says, I am. He says, there is no one so far gone that they are incapable of receiving my grace. It's his desire that none, none, not one should perish, but that all should have eternal life. And when we trust him, when we receive him in faith, you can imagine it that. It's, 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 the, it's the justice of God coming to put all things right and we just mar it's like we're marking the doorposts of our lives with his blood and he passes us over. He says, this is one of mine. This is one of the ones who, who, who has come to Jesus, who has allowed him to clean them up, who has allowed him to bring forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace. These are one of the ones that are gonna be part of my story of rebuilding all that's been lost. So, today, take it with a fresh emphasis. 
Um, can we call this the bread? <laughs> Feels like a stretch. Feels like a stretch. But you take it. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. He said, this is my blood when he took the cup, spilled for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink. We do it in remembrance of him. And we too, friends, every week when we do this, and if it's become old hat and rote, as it does for me sometimes, fight it. We too are formed by a meal. Christians, we're formed week in and week out by saying we get our life from this body given and blood spilled of our King Jesus who has done this to save us, amen? amen. We tell us that story, ourselves that story again and again and again and again until he comes back, which he will, which he will, praise God. All right, let's pray. Lord, um, I don't know, I felt like that was kind of heavy, and maybe that's okay. Lord, it's a heavy thing to think about the Son of God, this glorious, beautiful Jesus we've been reading about now for two years, this Jesus who cares for the poor, who lifts up women, who heals the sick, who humbles the proud, who gives grace to those who need it and want it. associates with those no one else will, who, who embodied the love of God. It's a heavy thing to see this Jesus killed, to see him killed unjustly, to see him plotted against, to see him schemed against, to see him betrayed by his closest. We're going to see him abandoned by the rest. So it's okay for it to be heavy. But we thank you, Lord, that this isn't just another blip of senseless violence in a dark and broken and twisted world, Lord. This was the act by which you chose to save your people. What an incredible twist, Lord, that you, the eternal God, would become the lamb and lay down your life for us. I couldn't have written that, Lord. We thank you for it. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. And as we continue to, to do this together, to partake of your body and of your blood through this means, Lord, we pray that it would just become a richer and richer and more formative and more formative thing every week as we do it together, Lord. That you would truly be our, sus our sustenance. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.